Hello there, When We Were Youngins. This is your co-host, Seth Pearson, and I'm leaving you a note here at the top of the show to let you know that in keeping with our disaster theme for this week's episode, my computer decided to mildly fuck up the entire recording. I was able to edit around most of this, but you're still going to hear some audio glitches, so we just wanted to let you know ahead of time and promise that we'll be back to our usual extreme fidelity standards of audio quality on all future episodes. Without any further ado, please enjoy episode 33 of When We Were Young. Woo! You're gonna love this. Come on in, it's great. Is it really warm? Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. Oh, it's really hot. (laughs) I think that's why they call it Twine Said Hot Springs. Hey! So is this great or what? Mmm, sure beats the hell out of L.A. Yes, it does. Mm. Well, maybe we should move here. I don't think so. I could not in a week. Yeah. It's nothing. Some animal must have scared me. Jerry? How was that? Hello, and welcome to When We Were Young, the podcast where your best friends viciously rip your favorite things from childhood to shreds right before your very eyes. I'm Chris, your podcast host most likely to be elected mayor of a charming town in the Pacific Northwest, while also remaining single and running a bad coffee shop as a mayoral side hustle. (laughs) I am Seth, your host most likely to get into a doorframe, stick your head between your knees, and kiss your ass goodbye. And I'm Becky. I'm the podcast host most likely to still visit the Beverly Center, even with a volcano exploding outside of it. <laughs> so true. That's factual. Any jeans, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so today we are talking about disasters. And not just our Congress. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> I like how we fake laughed and then yeah. really laughed. Outside of Congress, uh, the late 90s <laughs> saw a pretty short-lived resurgence of disaster films which was kicked off by the tornadoes of Twister in 1996. Phase two was Volcanoes, only this time there were two Volcano movies, Dante's Peak and Volcano, released just a couple of months apart in early 1997. It's that strange phenomena of, like, movie twins. Yeah. Is that what they're called? Mm-hmm. When two movies with almost the same... I thought it was plot? Star Children? Star Is that Children. not what they're called? <laughs> no? Movie twins? I thought it was conjoined cinemas. <laughs> <laughs> that makes more sense. Because there's Ants and a Bug's Life... There's Deep Impact and Armageddon. Those two Hitchcock movies came out the same year. Two Capote movies came out. Only one of them won Oscars. There's usually a distinctly better version in each of the twins. Also, there were two magic movies. Remember, there was The Illusionist and and The the Prestige. Prestige. Uh, Yeah. yeah. Yep. We could go on for another. (laughs) (laughs) So this might be our most obscure topic yet in terms of like how many people have seen and remember these movies. I don't feel like people really mention them very often, and that's why I'm kind of excited for this podcast. Um, Not a day goes by that people don't... (laughs) Strangers on the street stop me, and they ask me, when was the last time you saw Linda Hamilton in a romantic role? (laughs) So we've previously covered on the podcast uh, Twister and Titanic, which is kind of a disaster movie as well. They were both hits, big hits, that people kind of still talk about. These movies, not so much. It's just me. I start every conversation with, you know, at Dante's Peak when they're driving down the river. <laughs> and then people just give me the blank stare that Becky's giving me right now. Mm-hmm. 
So basically, we are releasing 21 years of pent-up excitement in me about these films <laughs> that will explode out of me like a pyroclastic cloud, and Becky and Seth will be blown away. <laughs> <laughs> I laid down a plastic liner on the couch just for this occasion. <laughs> And because these movies can be considered ripoffs of Twister, we can consider this a ripoff of our first episode, which was on Twister. We were so much younger then. When we were young, when we started this podcast. How long do we have to wait until we go back to our first podcast and talk about how it holds up? Yeah. I actually just listened to the Twister one again in preparation for this podcast because I wanted to see and I wanted to be able to hold the things that you said back then <laughs> accountable you now. Oh. How did we hold up? Yeah, how did we hold up? Not very well. What? You're super racist, super sexist. I, wow. have, good, I have good memories of that. I knew well, I was sexist, but racist? Yeah, both. It's awful. Now, in relating it to these particular movies, do you think that Grant Hesloff is the Philip Seymour Hoffman? I 100% think that. Okay. But who is the Philip Seymour Hoffman of the other Volcano movie? Volcano. <laughs> <laughs> No one's funny. I think it's just the magma. That's the closest thing to humor. It melts people. So a little history on the disaster movie genre in general. It took off with Airport in 1970. Then The Poseidon Adventure was released in 1972, produced by Irwin Allen, who was dubbed the Master of Disaster. And that movie was nominated for eight Oscars the year Cabaret and The Godfather were nominated. Then in 1974, The Towering Inferno was nominated for eight Oscars, the same year Chinatown and The Godfather Part II were nominated. And that starred Paul Newman, Steve McQueen, Faye Dunaway, O.J. Simpson, and Fred Astaire. What's The Towering Inferno? Is it earthquakes? It's fire. Yeah, in a skyscraper. Yeah. So Irwin Allen described his films as 1,400 people are killed and only the stars survive. That's about right. Pretty straightforward about that, yeah. And film historians kind of believe that this genre was so popular in the 70s because of the instability and panic that people felt around Vietnam and Watergate, Nixon, all that. And so I think it's interesting that these that those three big hits are all like kind of man-made disasters in airports and a ship and a tower instead of natural disasters like we saw in the 90s, um, which were had nothing to do with like man-made creations. Tannic did, obviously, but the kind of disaster movies we're talking about are all natural disasters. Isn't there a movie called Hard Rain? There was. Yes. <laughs> yes, indeed. It was just like a thunderstorm, obscure. right? <laughs> I deemed that too obscure to bring up in this podcast, but I'm glad that you did. It came out in the beginning of 97, I'm pretty sure, and I did see it in theaters. <laughs> of course you did. Of course you did. It was the first disaster movie after Twister. <laughs> I thought it actually is not a disaster movie. It's just a lot of rain. Oh, really? And it's like oh, a heist film. It's just film. like a drama, right? Yeah. Well, it's a crime film. But oh, okay. But they, but they, there's the, a flood. The trailer, was, it's marketed as like disaster. It's which, raining a lot. Which they did. I think they changed the title of the movie too, just to make it feel more like a disaster movie, oh which it was not. I was very disappointed in. Christian Slater, I think, I was know. the star. And Morgan Freeman. The rain was the star. The magma is the star. The rain is the star. In the 1990s, some of the biggest disasters to make the news were Mount Pinatubo, which erupted in the Philippines in 1991, Hurricane Andrew in 1992 in Florida and surrounding areas, the Northridge earthquake in 1984 in California, and then there was a blizzard in 1996 on the East Coast and tornado outbreak in Oklahoma in 99. So basically everything that we saw in the movies happened at some point in the 90s. Also at this time, environmentalism was becoming a real mainstream topic around the world with a lot of initiatives trying to preserve and protect nature. So the late 80s and 90s were when climate change also started becoming kind of like a mainstream idea. I remember I definitely heard about global warming as a kid. So I feel Mm -hmm. like that kind of was in people's minds as these movies were coming out. And that's maybe why natural disasters were the next popular disaster movie. 
So as an opening question, I'm going to ask you guys, what was your experience with natural disasters in yourself or even what you might remember from the news about Hurricane Andrew or something like that? I have no personal experience with being in a natural disaster. I've lived in L.A. for like 16 years and I can't even remember feeling an earthquake. Hmm. Only time I've ever felt an earthquake where I actually was like, things are shaking. I was in New York. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I thought there was just building work happening in the my friend's apartment. And it turns out it was an earthquake that like you could feel from New York to Boston. Do you remember what year that was? Oh, sometime in the 20, 2011-ish range, somewhere around there. Yeah, I think I was there too. So maybe it, I didn't remember that you were visiting during that, but I also experienced an earthquake in New York, which was very unusual. Yeah, I think there may have been a giant hurricane. There was as well. Yeah, the same week. Mm-hmm. I experienced yes. both of those. This is like a rom-com <laughs> in the making right here. Yeah, You like experience the earthquake simultaneously on opposite sides of the city and have to come together. Uh-huh. And then a hurricane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the hurricane blows you together in the end of the movie. That's so beautiful. Uh, you can interpret that a few different ways. But... <laughs> what I'm saying is you have sex with a natural disaster. <laughs> Speaking of, where are the natural disaster porn movies? <laughs> <laughs> Becky with a pertinent question. I'm sure that they exist. I Dante's penis? Like, does that exist? <laughs> <laughs> Dante's peaks. <laughs> I think that I will research this and post it to our social media All right, page good. if there should be such a thing. Volcano of ass. <laughs> of ass. <laughs> Volcan, yes. Oh, Volcan, no. (laughs) Volcan scent is very important. Armageddon on. Titanic. That is one. That's a real one. Armageddon on. Oh, really? Yeah. Hornado. Oh, that's good. Gunami. (laughs) (laughs) Monpoon season. Oh, God. (laughs) Girthquake. Girthquake. You got, you got it. You're just. You've obviously seen all these movies. <laughs> uh, no, I made them. Thank you very much. Yeah, I guess I, I guess I'm lucky. I, no, no experience. With porn. <laughs> <laughs> Plenty of experience with porn. <laughs> <laughs> but never in a volcano. No, never in a volcano. Were there any disasters like in the '90s that spoke to you <laughs> via the news, or were you just they? Just no, kind I was of a, a kid. I didn't care about anything. <laughs> Cool, Seth. <laughs> well, I am from New Orleans, yes. and hurricanes are a fact of life every single year. And so during the 90s, I definitely knew about them. I definitely took like environmental science classes and stuff in school, so I would learn about like the mechanics of them, and that was always really fascinating. Most of the hurricanes that occurred during my childhood were pretty large, but they weren't like unprecedented. I went through at least a couple of hurricanes, and they are absolutely beautiful kind of astounding things to look at in person especially if you like are in the eye as the eye of the hurricane passes over you can like kind of see you have to like see it it's hard to describe did you Um, strap yourself to a pipe to look no you don't have to because it's like that's the the eye is the calmest part of it so you can just like stand there and watch but it's just kind of a supernatural feeling surreal feeling you've been in the eye yeah yeah. what you say that like yeah like passes over most of the storms that I experienced, most of the hurricanes I experienced growing up were not big enough to like have to evacuate for. Oh. But they're still just unimaginably huge storms. Hmm. And I mean, I was also lucky to live in a neighborhood that wasn't super prone to flooding or any of that. But I had such an awareness of them. And there was always like the fear that like the super big storm would come and wipe everything away. Chris? 
Well, I am from the Pacific Northwest, so we do have earthquakes there just like we do in California. So I experienced a few of those, but nothing that was like a devastation. But I know that the reason I was particularly drawn to these volcano movies was because Washington State is where Mount St. Helens is. Are you guys aware of like Mount St. Helens when you were kids or no. even like lately? Like, was it a story that you ever heard anything about? No. <laughs> Um, yes, <laughs> it, yes, Mount St. Helens was absolutely a story that I heard about as a kid, and I was fucking obsessed with it. I, like, loved to read about things like that, but yeah, I totally remember Mount St. Helens. Yeah, so I'll give you guys a little background on it, just uh, for listeners who may not know that much about it. Mount St. Helens erupted on May 18th, 1980, which was the deadliest and most destructive volcanic event ever to happen in the United States. There were a series of earthquakes over two months, leading to a 5.1 earthquake that collapsed the side of the mountain, causing the largest known avalanche of debris in recorded history. The avalanche traveled up to 155 miles per hour, traveling 13 miles and covering 24 square miles. I'll show you guys this picture. So this is what the destruction of it looked like. The pyroclastic flow traveled 670 miles per hour, possibly faster than the speed of sound, leveling forests for 230 square miles and killing many trees beyond that with extreme heat. At least 57 people died, most of asphyxiation and burns. The thermal energy released was 1,600 times that of the Hiroshima bomb. Holy shit. And the ash traveled all over the world. Some stayed in the atmosphere for years. And so I talked to... Uh, my mom about this because she was obviously alive back then since three <laughs> years before I was born. You heard a lot of these stories when I was a kid that the sky basically turned black like instantaneously or very soon and that it was just like a really surreal and scary thing like and looking at some pictures of it is it's it's really fascinating. Harry Truman kind of became famous for this eruption. He was a lodge owner who lived with his 16 cats and he refused to evacuate the area. So he's just kind of legend for, you know, sticking to his guns and then dying in a volcano. It's amazing that after his presidency, Harry Truman was able to do that. I think it was a different Harry Truman. I Are you sure? was really confused. <laughs> like, I don't think the president Harry Truman died that way. To me, this is the Harry Truman. And I when they mentioned the president, I'm like, how did that guy who died in a volcano become president? And also killed were some scientists and photographers. One photographer named Robert Landsberg positioned his body over his backpack with film in it as the cloud approached. So I have pictures of that that he took like right before he took the film out of his camera and stuffed it in his bag. And died? Yeah, it's pretty in insane. Surreal. It's completely surreal. These events always inspire awe. Yeah, it's not really a thing that you take seriously as a threat, even if you live in Washington. No one really thinks about that even happening again because it's just a rare thing, but it is really crazy. And I have been to Mount St. Helens a couple of times, and it's one of my favorite places to visit. The trees around it are still leveled and gray, like for miles. It's crazy to like be somewhere where you can see that this whole area was destroyed in like minutes is super crazy. Well, and it is also interesting to me how, like, disaster movies became a thing. Because they are a thing that, like, we don't really take into account as a normal risk. But they are, like, some of the most spectacular events that exist. But it's like, we only think of them as rare because we think within the terms of, like, our little limited 80-year human lifespan. Mm -hmm. But, like, over the course of geologic time, this happens infinity number of times right and and that kind of destruction on that kind of scale is actually super common yeah like i mean obviously there's the meteor that most scientists believe <laughs> killed the dinosaurs <laughs> and like all of their life basically some people don't believe in that or science at all it's okay Chris. they just run the country <laughs> yeah no big deal 
And so like Seth was kind of saying, I was really fascinated by disasters at this time and the science behind it. And in Twister and Titanic, I kind of, you know, said that I was like really into the details of how things happen and also just the like the politics of the decisions behind what happens and why people make the decisions they do, which is usually because of money. <laughs> and selfish short-term interest. Yeah. As I mentioned in Twister, episode, episode one <laughs> of when we were young. When we were actually young. Um, I had a countdown to its VHS release. And the first movie, besides Hard Rain, that really capitalized on that was Dante's Peak, which began production the same week as Twister's release on my birthday. Ah, happy birthday, 14-year-old Chris. 13, 13. <laughs> I mean, uh, six. This peak is for you. I have not verified this with people who were there, but <laughs> my memory is that we were on vacation skiing in Colorado when Dante's Peak opened. It made my parents drive me to an obscure movie theater in the Colorado mountains to go see Dante's Peak. I could not like let it go. I couldn't like wait, get home. I was really excited for Dante's Peak. Maybe more excited than Twister. So, Becky, how excited were you for Dante's Peak? <laughs> <laughs> well, as I said on the last podcast that I had never seen Dante speak in Volcano before, and then I realized that I wrote a paper on both of them in college. So that's how memorable those movies are. So you lied to our listeners. I only lied to myself, apparently. I was in denial. Wait, are, did you lie to our listeners or did you lie to the University of Southern California? No, I had seen these movies. I just didn't remember seeing them. So, so both is what you're so saying. So I have my paper right here <laughs> that I wrote for my earth science class, my senior year of college. It's about natural disaster movies and their inaccuracies. It's called Natural Disaster Movies, Crisis of Planet Hollywood. <laughs> Ooh, I like it because right? Planet Hollywood is, you know, a brand. It yes, is. I know. It is. We recognize that. <laughs> and we live in Los Angeles. Um, it's... I. I don't know what I got on this paper, but I think an A, probably. Um, I, I think Seth and I beg to differ with that, but okay. Let's let the audience decide. Well, We're going to scan this and put this on our pages. For a college essay, I was pretty bitchy. And as we've discovered rereading it, that it's really just like a, a film review. The Snarkmeister has joined in. Yeah. It was basically just a warm-up for this podcast. Yeah, pretty Honestly, much. No, I feel like it's like knives out, Becky. Like it's she's going for blood in yeah, this. Yeah, here's here's a nice quote. Dante's Peak and Volcano are much more concerned in jam-packing volcano-like events in 90 minutes than getting the phenomena depicted correctly. Why volcano-like events? They are <laughs> literal volcano events. They are the one kind of volcano event. <laughs> oh, then my next sentence is, there are more problems in a volcano than I could count. The most obvious, the screenplay. <laughs> so I will focus on the more modest by comparison, Dante's Peak, which at least has the volcano in question in an area where a volcano might actually appear. <laughs> <laughs> My background with these movies is basically that. I watched them, wrote paper, and completely forgot that they existed. <laughs> and it's been quite a day of watching volcano movies. You watched it today? Both of them today? Yesterday. Okay, yesterday and today. Okay. Yeah. Oy. Seth? Back-to-back volcanoes. <laughs> I can't outrun the magma flow of Becky's personal narrative with these films. <laughs> volcano and Dante's Peak were actually two of the first movies I ever remembered seeing trailers for that I knew that I would not, like, enjoy watching, ironically, in any way. I didn't see Deep Impact or Armageddon. I didn't see either of those movies. So you were fascinated by disasters, but only until Twister, and then you stopped? It just no. looks too dumb. 
They just looked too dumb. That's hmm. the thing. You know, I didn't succumb to day after tomorrow either. Like, I kind of reached my point of, like, dumb-looking disaster movies. Did you being... reach your Dante's Peak? I think I did. <laughs> well, I saw it. <laughs> yeah, you saw know. it. we got a problem here, guys. I'm going to need your help to convince Paul that this mountain means business. Uh, Harry, I hate to agree with Paul, but there's no real evidence to suggest there's anything weird going on up there. Just like Mount Baker back in the 70s. Yeah, and there was no eruption then. My ninth grade science teacher once told me that if you put a frog in boiling water, it'll jump right out. But if you put it in cold water and heat it up gradually, it'll just sit there and slowly boil to death. What's that, Harry? Your recipe for frog soup? It's my recipe for disaster. Dante's Peak blasted its way into the box office on February 7th, 1997, along with The Beautician the Beast. Oh my god. Yes. Now that is a film I did see. Okay, I'm now I'm you've invalidated everything you said about not seeing it because it was terrible. This was the same month that Dolly the Sheep was revealed to the world and the TV movie Asteroid aired on NBC. Oof. Don't Speak was the number one song. I'm not familiar. <laughs> well, don't speak about it. This week actually Star Wars was number one at the box office, followed by Dante's Peak. How was Star Wars number one? It was the reissue. Oh, yeah. When they did the, like... The special edition? Yeah, yes. yes. Got it. George Lucas started, like, putting extra things in the movie because he can't leave well enough alone. So, yeah, Dante's Peak was beat by a 20-year-old movie at that point. Yeah, that, that's got to be kind of humiliating, right? I mean, it's Star Wars. What are you going to do? The entire month of February had Star Wars movies as number one. Those movies came out, like, basically back to back. true. They were back to back to back. Oh, yeah. yeah. I didn't see any of those. I saw them all. So as a little plot synopsis for Dante's Peak, uh, we have Pierce Brosnan playing Harry Dalton. Just call him Professor Volcano. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Lava. <laughs> Dr. Lava. <laughs> we shall call him Dr. Lava. <laughs> Just that one change. <laughs> if the lead character's name oh has been God. Dr. Lava. <laughs> The movie is called Dr. Lava. Pierce Brosnan is Dr. Dr. Lava. Go on, please. (laughs) Cannot be giggling through my. It's a very serious volcano podcast. So, in Dr. Lava, I mean Dante's Peak. Uh, Pierce Brosnan plays Harry Dalton, a volcanologist who travels to the town Dante's Peak after some freaky geological activity. He starts flirting with the town's mayor slash coffee shop owner (laughs) (laughs) and single mother of two, Rachel Wando, played by Linda Hamilton. And then some volcano stuff happens. Volcano-like events. (laughs) (laughs) The movie costs $116 million to make, a little more than Twister. Its opening weekend was 18.5 million. Its domestic growth was 67.1 million. And worldwide, it made 178 million. So it was a hit ish, but not uh, like. I wouldn't call that a hit. In 1997, it. But it, how much did it cost? 118? 116. So, yeah, 116, I mean. They, their investment, they don't want just a million dollar return on that. They wanted, like, way more. That's true. But the number of times I've watched it since then has more than paid for the movie. <laughs> The reviews were uh, mixed. Becky Bain of the <laughs> geology class said, "Like mixed garbage." Did I really? say? 
Oh, no, I just launched in the day of tomorrow after, so, yeah. I mean, they were on the negative <laughs> side of mix, but they weren't, like, scathing. Uh, some of them were positive. Lisa Allspector of the Chicago Reader said, The movie's corny and manipulative, taxes your ability to suspend disbelief, and predictably punishes characters for their hubris. All earmarks of a great disaster flick, if the tone is just right. And it is. <laughs> Stamp of approval from what? Lisa Allspector. That took so many turns. <laughs> I'm still thinking of that <laughs> So depending on what we cut out of this episode, I will just explain that <laughs> Becky and Seth have decided that Pierce Brosnan's character in Dante's Peak should have been called Dr. Lava. And that the film itself should have been entitled <laughs> Dr. Lava. And should Linda Hamilton have Mayor Lava? Obviously. <laughs> or Mayor Magma. Mayor Magma. So we're pretty punchy, I guess. <laughs> I'm delirious. Go on. <laughs> Go on. Manola Dargis of LA Weekly said, Too bad that by the time the volcano shoots its wad, the movie has already died a thousand deaths, ground to a halt <laughs> by the interminable waiting for the damn thing to blow. The movie was directed by Roger Donaldson. He is most notable otherwise for directing Species. And it was written wow. by Leslie Boehm, who also wrote Daylight and the Alamo. So a lot of disaster kind of stuff. The Alamo? <laughs> Alamo? <laughs> the Alamo. <laughs> well, you know, maybe I wanted some ice cream. So I just wanted to start us off by comparing Dante's Peak to Twister a little bit in terms of its story, because I think there's a lot of similarities in the setup. Um, it's about scientists. There's kind of a middle-aged love story. It takes place in small-town America. There's a feisty old lady. Uh, so did like this overall approach like work for you guys in the story? I thought this movie was a blatant and vastly inferior ripoff of Twister. Like, it's... I think it tries to ape a lot of the plot devices and story character beats, especially. But Twister hadn't Twister. come out yet when it was shooting. So I think they knew that Twister was coming out, so the general idea of a disaster movie, but they well, hadn't actually let, seen the movie. And to be fair, the genre elements of the disaster movie were already long in place by that point, so that mm. makes total sense. You know, it's just I don't think that formula works for a disaster movie, especially one like this that's so effects-heavy, when you don't have humor and solid character work there to bring people along it wasn't even out yet it still feels like a complete ripoff it, really it is no twister i just like it made me really miss twister i really wanted to go back to watching Mister. twister um i didn't care about anybody in this movie i didn't care what happened to anybody i didn't feel like anybody really felt like a human no one said anything interesting or really did anything interesting and they just kind of felt like they existed to keep the plot going they existed to run away from danger yeah, it's kind of crazy in a movie that's about an exploding volcano for it to feel like there are no stakes. Yeah, I wrote that in my notes, that there aren't any stakes. And if there's stakes, there's a giant volcano, but it felt yeah. like there weren't any stakes because yeah. I didn't care about anybody. And just a lot of it just seems so ridiculous that, you know, the effects weren't that good that I just didn't, I was so bored by this movie. And it just really missed, made me miss Twister and made me this miss, was like... a slog for me, too. People, I missed... missed making me care about the people that are running from things or like, I hope they get out alive or like they really have some like, you know, chemistry together. Um, and there was just like nothing in that, in this movie. 
See, I disagree. I mean, maybe because I saw this movie back in the day, I feel like this movie does take a lot of time to build the world out, spends a lot of time on the characters, and I find the characters pretty engaging, particularly Lyndall Hamilton. I know it's just a little town, but I couldn't imagine living anywhere else. I grew up here. I went to school here. Got married here? Yeah. We were just kids. Haven't heard from him in quite a while. <laughs> quite a while. Try six years. Mm. Oh my god. I didn't know really? that Linda Hamilton was in non-Terminator movies. <laughs> Becky... I literally to put a finer think. point on that, I don't believe Linda Hamilton should have been in non-Terminator <laughs> movies. I think she is completely a thousand percent miscast in this. I do not believe her for one fucking second. And I love her in Terminators. But what but... don't you believe? Wait, you don't believe if she's a good waitress or a good mayor or both? <laughs> Even setting aside the improbability of that dual job role, I just don't believe her as that character. She's supposed to sell, like, romantic chemistry with Pierce Brosnan, and they have negative chemistry. I think it's yeah. so fucking forced and awkward. And But that's, like, part of it is because they're both, like... He's a widower and she is divorced. And so it's like that kind of like awkward flirting when you're too old to be doing that kind of thing. But see, again, like as as you brought up the comparison, like the version of that messy, weird relationship situation in Twister is so much better. And those characters are grounded and you know who they are as people. So their chemistry feels organic. It doesn't feel forced. I just felt like no one said anything interesting the whole movie. There's not even a single fucking f line that seems to try to be funny. It's like they try to play the whole movie like a hundred percent, like so straight and so dramatic and so self-serious. That is true. The big difference, I think, between this movie and Twister is Joss Whedon, who did not polish the script, and that comedic element is definitely missing from this movie. Oh, there was that guy that was weird, and he was like, coffee, coffee, Java. That was Grant Heslov. <laughs> Sorry, if he's supposed to be the Philip Seymour Hoffman of this movie, like, he's just more annoying. And who's that guy? Grant Heslov is a George Clooney's producing partner now. And co-writer. Yeah, I think. And character actor in like a million different movies. True Lies. That's the movie he's in. That's why he looks familiar. Mm. And he's always the character who's like, oh, oh no, it's blowing up. Or like, holy shit, can you believe they said that? Yeah. Like it's, yeah. He, cappuccino, cappuccino. <laughs> yeah. he's He's got a line or two that... I don't know. He amuses me in this movie. I will say that this is the poor man's like rogue gallery of who's who scientists. These are not so recognizable. It's really just Grant has love that yeah. we, we know. I don't know. I'm really into the scientific banter. This movie is actually pretty scientifically accurate. Um, Chris, I'll refer you to my college essay. <laughs> Please do. Um, Sorry, we're going to check the source material on that, Chris? Here's, here's a good point that I brought up. <laughs> two, two nude bathers swim in a hot spring up on the mountain. The water is pleasantly warm and steamy, but less than a minute later becomes an inferno of fire and lava, burning the swimmers to death. Although hot springs may heat up before an eruption, it is highly unlikely they would get that hot in such a small amount of time. It's like instantaneously burned to death. Yes, scientists concur with you. I looked up their <laughs> opinions on this movie, and they'd say that water heats up too fast. 
<laughs> so it's compressed time, you know. But you have to take some license with the movie. Uh-huh. But in general, like this is the movie where you get to know a like lot it's about artistic license. Mm. How about this? Trying to drive over a hot lava flow, approximately seventeen hundred degrees Fahrenheit, would result in melting tires and exploding gas tank. This wouldn't matter since hardly any vehicle can outrun a pyroclastic flow moving at speeds of up to a hundred plus kilometer per hour. Um. <laughs> Look, it's all stupid, you know, it's all stupid. If the movie is good, then who cares really about the science? I just, I personally thought the movie was just boring because I don't know if everything in Twister is accurate, but I like the characters and the dialogue and Well, I think like Twister, this at least tries to kind of explain the science behind it. And that's what I like. Like, you know what's happening in this movie. Volcano is not super (laughs) accurate. So I liked... I liked learning about volcanoes through this movie. I thought it was like a fun way to kind of just get that kind of scientific knowledge and also like kind of put yourself in. The story is really based on Mount St. Helens in a lot of ways. The eruption happened very similarly to that. Time is really compressed into days instead of months. But basically all the things that happen there happen here. And so I like a movie that gives me that experience. And I I like that. But Chris, I have to ask you. Is this actually that movie? Because this movie doesn't give you the actual knowledge. You sought out that knowledge. No, there's a lot of scientific knowledge in the movie that is shared. Even if I grant that, which I don't necessarily. Even if I grant that, do you think that this movie actually succeeds and that like these characters actually succeed on the merits of the movie as it is? Like you, I find volcanoes really fucking fascinating and interesting. And like the idea of this movie was really interesting. Like, and even the idea of these characters and that kind of setup, I don't think it follows through on that. It works for me. I mean, I am into the characters. A lot of this is probably because I was 14 when I saw it. And my sister looked exactly like the girl in this movie and was like oh, the really? same age. <laughs> I was the same age as the boy in this movie. And I grew up in the Pacific Northwest. And we had a cabin that was in a town a lot like Dante's Peak. It was like a small town in the mountains. And so this movie was really like believable to me. And obviously the Mountain St. Helens thing too is like this movie feels to me like... Not quite a documentary of my childhood, but very much looks and feels like a lot of my childhood. So it's really nostalgic for me, even beyond like the fact that I liked this movie. But mm-hmm. like I've been in these places, maybe not these exact locations that it was filmed, but places that are very similar because this was filmed in Washington and Idaho. And so it feels like this could happen to me and like literally it does happen to characters who are exactly like I was at this time. So you think this is a good movie? i think it's pretty good for what it is i mean i don't think it's a great movie i like the kind of romance and dialogue between the two i mean i don't think it's it's two wet slices of bread slapping against (laughs) each other it's just there's nothing of porn (laughs) ripoffs i don't know i mean it works for me it's good enough that i enjoy it Compared to most other movies of this kind, I think it's a cut above, <laughs> but we'll talk about Volcano in a moment. And I liked a few extra touches, like the grandma sacrificing herself. Which okay. wouldn't happen. It wouldn't happen. Uh, yeah. Are we talking about <laughs> the acid boat sequence? Yes. That would not happen. It would not happen like that. <laughs> but the emotional Ref- beats of it. Referring back to... <laughs> 
I have something about that in here. Lakes near volcanoes can become acidic and cause burns to human skin. However, normal lake waters, such as the ones the protagonists row across, have relatively neutral pH values near 7.0, which would not cause such damage to either an aluminum boat or human skin. Even so, Grandma is quickly burned by submerging herself in water while guiding the boat to the shore, but Piers Brosnan's arm, only protected by the cloth of his shirt, has yes. no apparent effects. Yes! Piers Brosnan! <laughs> J- Jimmy Bond is fucking rowing that boat ashore. <laughs> with nothing but a sleeve guarding him and it protects him from the acid. I think it's because Pierce Brosnan's character isn't a sinner and that grandma is a dirty old wench who's getting her just desserts from Lucifer. Um, I will admit that the boat sequence is my favorite part of this movie. Uh-huh. <laughs> you just want that grandma to die. I really wanted her to. But it, it's kind of ballsy, I feel like, for a movie like this, like kill the grandma in like... A kind of horrific way like that. Like, and they show her, like, you know, kind of charred and stuff. Her stumps, that was, when they cut away to her stumps, that was the only moment that I thought it was ballsy. I will agree with you only to, on the stumps. That's it. I'll take the stumps. Take those stumps and run. Another, or, thing, another I thing I like about this movie is that I just feel like the kind of setup is realistic. They have the Jaws-esque banter about whether or not they're going to evacuate the town. It's basically, like, the exact same thing as it's Jaws. Jaws. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The boss is, like, not just a villain and that he actually is says he was wrong at a certain point. Those kinds of things felt like what real people would do if this was their job and not just, like, dictated by the plot. Sorry to beat the episode one dead horse, but in Twister, they use the fact that storm chasing is their career to help deepen them as characters. And I don't feel like that happens in this movie. I do agree that... There is kind of a lot of specific detail given to how, like, Pierce doesn't like what they're doing mm-hmm. as part of their job. But I don't ever f- get a sense that 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 they're showing us who they are in the course of doing that. Yeah, I, agree. I just don't. I, mean, I just think they're like good, noble, good intentioned people trying to help people the whole time. Yeah, there's not any real intersection between him as a character and his job. Yeah, I kind of concede on that point. This movie contains the line, Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> like, why? Why did that become a thing? I just want to know, like, why? What do you mean? That was a big line in Apollo 13. I know, but why do other movies say it? it oh, yeah. Why? Why, yeah, why did that become a thing? Yeah. I can't even count how many movies have that. And, like, probably still sometimes. There are probably kids' movies that still have that. Yeah. Like, Madagascar 3, I bet, has that. Uh, I just really like Wendell Hamilton in this movie. I, oh, my God. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> They are not that small a town that a waitress could also be the mayor. No, that actually is a thing in small towns is often the mayor has the mayor has a job. Usually being a mayor of a town like that isn't a full time job and wouldn't pay that much. But they keep saying that the town is so small. And then when they have town meetings, it's like thousands of people are there. That's true. Chris, no, I I agree with you. Like, and you're right in terms of like in super small communities like that, mayors often don't get paid for that as a full time job and have to get other employment. Like, that's true. But also, I don't buy Linda Hamilton as someone who makes coffee for one second, nor do I believe her as a mayor. What job would Linda Hamilton have then? Well, I mean, she's a Hollywood actress. I should be (laughs) James Cameron's wife. I don't know. 
it works well enough. Like, I don't think that anything in this movie is written, like, exquisitely. <laughs> I just think, Ooh. like, the setup of her as, like, the mayor of the town, I think, is interesting and a single mom. She's, like, a woman who does it all. And she at least has a little bit more agency than, like, she's not just, like, a hot young girl in the town who's, like, there to, you know, run after Pierce Brosnan. Like, she has her own thing to do and she's actually responsible for the town. So that gives it a little bit of added weight. I mean, I think that's a pretty good setup for these characters. This movie has a dog. Yeah, it does. That escapes from lava at the last minute. Does not pass judgment. It does not pass judgment, but um, <laughs> we've previously noted in Twister also that there was a dog who escapes a uh, tornado, so. Sadly, there were no cows in this movie. No, I don't think there were. So Becky, you said you don't think the special effects hold up? No, not really. I thought they were pretty good. No. I don't think so. I mean, I... Maybe, like, in a couple shots, but most of it, I was just like, this looks stupid. Yeah, in special effects, especially in terms of fire and things that are burning, are so much more advanced now that part of it may just be hindsight goggles, and, you know, we see those things as being as unrealistic as they are compared to what these effects look like in movies now. But what about, like, the volcanic eruption? The stuff that doesn't have fire. Yeah. Uh. See, I think this they're really good in this film and they, they use miniatures in this movie and they use some CGI, but like they- Some of them were done well and there was a shot when the kids commandeer a pickup truck and are driving to try to get to safety where they end up driving like straight into the ashes and like straight at the volcano, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a pretty beautifully done sequence. It's like really- Again, that like eerily bl- coal black sky with ashes raining down on all the trees and covering everything. And it looks like a blizzard. There was some stuff about it that was visually well done. But even that was wrapped in such a boring shell that it was hard to appreciate it just for that. I really liked like the town, the miniature work of the town, like during like the earthquake sequence and like buildings falling apart. I thought that looked really good. I can't believe you didn't find this film so boring. <laughs> no, I find it super fun. I don't get it. Oh, man. It's so boring. I was so bored. Chris's peak. This was really hard to finish. Oh, you say really... that about every movie. No, I don't. Every movie that you didn't watch as a kid. No. <laughs> I don't know how to debate that. No, that's not every movie. <laughs> well, okay. You're, you're just very prone to boredom. I don't know about that. I'm very prone to boredom while watching Dante's Peak. It was so boring. I thought it was really, really boring. But it's also, like, I, I think you're onto something, Chris. Like, I think it's harder to hate something when you liked it growing up. Mm-hmm. Or like, you're just conditioned to already like it. So, I mean, even though I look at it with a critical eye, it's probably that I see, like, certain flaws, but I just forgive them better because, and, like, same thing for you guys with you know, certain movies that you guys like, you're like, well, that wasn't the greatest line, but your overall enjoyment of the thing like kind of takes over and says that that isn't as big of a problem as it is when you see it now. And you're like, oh, that was a bad line. Has there been a movie that we talked about in this podcast that you liked growing up and now don't like? I was going to ask that question of you guys, too. Well, I very clearly remember Chasing Amy is yeah. what I loved. And now I'm like embarrassed that I ever liked it. Well, yeah, me too, because I liked that at the same time. I didn't really grow up with it, but when I saw it, I liked it at the time. The reason that we didn't like that, I mean, there were other reasons too, but a big reason was just like the societal changes that have happened since then and the point of view of the movie didn't really hold up. So I wonder if you take that away, can we dislike a movie that we 
Lights' children without like some sort of actual like problematic element coming up out of it. Well, that's the thing is that neither our memory of that reaction to the movie nor us talking about our reaction of just having seen it are real. Like there are things that have already happened and the most that they ever reflect is where we are in the moment that we take them in. And time cuts in both directions. So we can neither take away the fact that kind of our social societal point of view of a lot of the things that just come up in terms of politics, in terms of gender, in terms of race, all that, just come up in having movies with characters in them. We can't take away what's changed about our perspective, but we also can't take away the fact that we really, really, really enjoyed something at a previous time. But it that doesn't really lock you necessarily into still loving it. No, but I think that when you sit down, when I sit down to watch Dante's Peak, I'm expecting to have a good time because I've seen it before and I liked it. And I know like to some extent, I'm going to enjoy some of the same things that I liked before was you said in the last podcast that you're not looking forward to watching this movie. And so you sat down expecting not to like it. And I think that does really color like how we end up responding to these films that we watch. No, I, I didn't expect not to like it because I have liked a lot of disaster movies and it's like a lot of the things that we've covered on this podcast are things that I didn't see or used to very actively not want to see for whatever reason. But no, I did I didn't sit down to watch this not wanting to like it. I mean, I remember liking Twister when I was younger, didn't remember anything about it, went into it honestly expecting to not like it just because of it's a natural disaster movie. Most of the most of the time, those are cheesy. And, mm-hmm. um, and again, and the I, special effects look old now. Yeah, and I liked it a lot. So I would hope that I go into things with a clear head, you know, not trying to like get back into where I was when I was a kid, because that's the point of the podcast is to see how it works as an adult. Yeah. Um, but well, I but of course, that's the funny part is that it's never a clear head. It's where yeah. you're at right now. Even if we talked about it like five years on, we could then have a totally different reaction to either of those kind of different moments. Yeah. And to Becky's point, I feel like maybe certain movies pass a certain bar where they become enjoyable because Twister, we all kind of agreed, like had pretty good writing and a lot of other elements that really held up. Whereas Dante's Peak, maybe doesn't pass that bar so I can still see it as good because I have that kind of like halo afterglow of my childhood but it's not like as good as Twister where it like actually wins anyone over who sees it now Mm -hmm. I mean it's all subjective obviously and like certain people would sit down and watch this and like it and certain people wouldn't but I do think it's interesting that that colors our opinion so much and I think we have to acknowledge that on the podcast a little bit and kind of realize that as much as we try and be objective like I see Titanic differently than you guys saw because I went into it with so much goodwill, even though I do recognize the kinds of things that are problems with it. You know what I found interesting? I lived in Australia for a little bit and I had like, you know, basic TV there. And there's a TV movie that came on that was basically like, I forgot what kind of natural disaster it was. Maybe it was like a tsunami. And it was like all the Australian landmarks were being like decimated. This in the opera house. They told like, the opera house. And these like buildings, these famous buildings. Or maybe it was like something to do with the weather because I think like Uluru in the middle of the country got like destroyed. And I was like, why do people like seeing landmarks in the country be destroyed? Like, why? what is it about, like, famous landmarks that we like seeing them, like, blown up? Or- because it 
violates the taboo that human-created monuments and things are these permanent installations. When humans set out to build gigantic skyscrapers and statues, there's like this psychological part of it that is about like asserting power and like permanence. And I think part of what we find compelling about natural disasters is how efficiently they just wipe that slate clean. Yeah, I just found that really interesting. It's like every country wants to see their beautiful, beloved monuments destroyed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we all have kind of a death wish in that way, I guess. Oh, absolutely. And we're now playing it out on the world stage (laughs) every single day. Moving on. Dante's Peak is the number 21 disaster movie, according to Box Office Mojo, but they count movies like Godzilla and World War Z, which I think is cheating because those are really different kinds of disasters, like zombie outbreak. Uh, Volcano is number 25. So at this time, Fox and Universal both bought scripts that had been circling after the success of Twister. Both happened to be about volcanoes. Universal was the first one to take out an ad in Variety claiming March 7th as Dante's Peak Day. They didn't say that, but it's a day I still celebrate. <laughs> And then Fox decided to release their movie a week earlier. <laughs> and so they were both racing in post-production to try and be like the first Volcano movie. So both of these movies were pretty rushed in a lot of ways. Wouldn't that hurt both their movies to have Volcano movies that close to yes, each other? Yes, it would have. And they like I guess Dante's Peak ended up being finished first because it ended up moving an extra month earlier than that date. And then Volcano ended up moving. Uh, it was released... April 25th, 1997, when it oozed into theaters, along with a movie called Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion. Yay! Same day. Um, Volcano was number one. Romeo was number two. What was Teenage Chris to do that day? Which one to see? <laughs> I'm pretty sure I saw Romeo and Michelle first, because I'm very excited for that movie, too. And other people would actually go to that one with me. <laughs> So I'm going to play uh, brief clips of some trailers since we were talking about the marketing of this movie. So first we'll take a look at a trailer for Twister. Even as the seasons change, nature moves within itself, its colossal power and its delicate beauty in perfect harmony, perfectly cosmically sane. Though periodically nature will in a kind of psychotic fit, go completely, randomly, mad. Next we have a very different trailer for Dante's Peak. It turns day into night. Air into fire. Nothing in the world can compare to its power. The most awesome sight you will ever see may be your last. In the town of Dante's Peak, a volcano is turning nature into a nightmare. There are at least 1,500 active volcanoes in the world that we know about. 
and at least one that we don't. Welcome to Los Angeles. So these movies were kind of inspired by the success of Twister, but the marketing was definitely inspired by the success of Twister. And I feel like this guy was just doing like natural disaster slam poetry or something. (laughs) I wonder, did the trailer voice guy do all of these just in one day? I feel like he did. I feel like they're interchangeable. He came in for 45 minutes and banged at one take. He made $3 million. (laughs) He made $3 million that hour. I'm pretty impressed that they found three different ways to do the exact same speech. Yeah, no, it's true. And there there was some pretty innovative debris flying at camera shots there. Oh, yeah. So Volcano cost $90 million, so a little bit less than Dante's Peak. The opening weekend was 14.6, less than Dante's Peak. And the total growth domestically was only $49.3 million, worldwide $122.8 million. So kind of similar performance to Dante's Peak, but even worse. I think no one's really into Volcanoes. Yeah, but isn't that weird? Like, I that's a question I wanted to ask you guys is, aren't volcanoes cool? <laughs> Maybe they're just not good for a story for a movie, or these movies just, like, failed. <laughs> well, and I think there's a specific aspect to it where it's not as proximate a thought for Americans. You yeah. know, it's just mm. not as prevalent a natural disaster that, that for any Americans to face. Except for, yeah, Maxine and Helens, and they kind of or did that Hawaii. with Dante's Peak. Or Hawaii, but yeah. y'all are all on that other side of the country. <laughs> and those volcanoes are always erupting anyway, so it's not really that special. And, like, it's a pretty small place. How much damage can really be done there? Well, the more you go on, the more you're talking me into these volcanoes. <laughs> I'm pretty down with them now. Okay. Well, do you like Dante's Peak now? Let's not go that far. Okay. So the reviews were kind of the same as Dante's Peak, um, surprisingly, I think. <laughs> uh, some positive, some negative. Uh, Peter Rinner of the Dallas Observer said, Watching this film is a little bit like getting mauled and tickled at the same time. The filmmakers have given the whole shebang a hefty levity, and that's not easy to accomplish in a full-scale disaster movie. So, pretty on board. Roger Ebert gave it one and a half stars and said, The ads say the coast is toast, but maybe they should say the volcano is Drano. This is a surprisingly cheesy disaster epic. I don't think that was Ebert's best. (laughs) Rita Kempley of the Washington Post. Her review is titled Volcano 1 on the Richter scale. She did not like it. Her review begins, Twister had a twister. Dante's Peak had a Dante's Peak. So how come there's no (laughs) volcano in Volcano? Can I just say, that is the one, well, not the one thing, but that is the (laughs) biggest thing missing from this movie is the fucking money shot of a volcano. Yeah. I want to see that fucking peak. (laughs) (laughs) The original tagline of Dante's Peak. (laughs) Yes. So let's give a brief plot synopsis uh, (laughs) in which we do not (laughs) do not mention the actual volcano because it's not there. A volcano goes off underground in L.A. Yeah. So Mike Rourke, I think is his name, uh, played by Tommy Lee Jones. (laughs) Yeah, no one cares. There's suspicious activity below, like burning people with sulfur, fire. I don't think we ever really learned what that is. Hot steam. And so he calls in a scientist played by Anne Heche. Her job in this movie is she goes down into tunnels, sees if things are hot, realizes things are hot, runs out, tells everyone things are hot, and continues to do this throughout the movie. And occasionally loses people in said holes. Yes. Yeah. That lake was 62 degrees yesterday. Today it's up to 68. That's a sunny day. It is lovely, isn't it? <laughs> 
Mr. Roy? It takes a geological event to heat a million gallons of water by six degrees in 12 hours. What is a geological event? I'm, I'm sure you're aware of this, that our continents sit on tectonic plates. Great big rafts floating over an ocean of molten rock. Yeah. When they shift like they did this morning, we get an earthquake, okay? Yeah. Same mechanism can sometimes open a fissure. Sometimes magma can find one of those fissures and rise up through it. What's magma? Lava. Lava? Uh, here in L.A.? It's one of several possibilities. It is unlikely, but it is a possibility. Uh, we have a history of that here in the downtown area? This movie takes place largely in and around subway tunnels, and then everything takes place at the Beverly Center or on Wilshire Boulevard. Like, that is the entire scope of L.A., according to yeah. this movie. Like, was this movie co-funded by the Miracle Mile District? <laughs> How and there's did a little this... bit of MacArthur Park. Yeah, the Librea Tar Pits are in here. I mean, I think that's the most sensible place place of volcano in L.A., but, like, if you're going to make a volcano movie that's set in L.A., like, why don't you do it in the Hollywood Hills? And why don't you have lava shooting out of the Hollywood Hills, running down them onto sunset? Lava eating the Hollywood sign. Come on. Like, yeah. Literally Like, nothing. over the Hollywood sign. Yeah, there were so many. Even if Jan de Bont had done this, it would have been so much more fun. I ended up enjoying volcano volcano more than I did Dante's. Oh, yeah. Insane. No, same. It it has a, it at least bounces along in its insanity, but for being such an LA-centric movie, it does not give me a sense of being in LA during such a disaster. The only really LA thing in it is the Angeline billboard. She's like, like kind of weird figure that's always just around LA and she has billboards and stuff. And when like a piece of lava or magma, like a fireball like hits her, I was like, oh, there's an L.A. thing. That's the one real L.A. joke in this movie. It's like there are like the opening credits are reminding me of the Brady Bunch because it's a bunch of scenes of L.A. and like (laughs) 90s L.A. and like cliches. But like that's it. (laughs) Like they set up L.A. as this kind of like kind of superficial place. But then they never like none of the characters are working in film. Every character in this movie is like a scientist. Well, they're taking it really seriously, actually, which is maybe the wrong call. Like, maybe it should have been a little bit on the sillier, funnier side, which they kind of did with Angeline Billboard. And, like, they could have had little, you know, clueless kind of girls that are on Melrose that get stuck somewhere. Or somebody in the film industry and they want to make a documentary and they, like, take a camera. And, like, rich people lying by the pool and there's, like, a big cloud of ash that goes over them. Like We're writing a better movie right now. (laughs) Honestly, this is easy. Yeah, it's like, how did you get this so wrong? Like, without... (laughs) Even trying any of those things. It's not that those things were done badly. It's that they weren't done at all. And instead, this is like the most boring version of this plot that you could possibly imagine. It's like it was written by someone who'd never been to L.A. but just heard weird, shitty things about it. There are multiple plot threads in this movie that where people keep referencing like Rodney King and O.J. And the O.J. trial. But, like, this movie is not set during the time when those things were happening. And it has really very little to do with the direct plot of the movie. Even though it's literally describing two huge events that took place in L.A., it feels like it has nothing to do with Los Angeles whatsoever. Well, it tries to have a racial element, kind of, because there is a conflict (laughs) between the firemen and cops and um, the mostly black residents of a neighborhood who want more uh, police attention 
you know, where they are to like save their homes and stuff while the police are focusing on more, you know, money uh, places like the uh, LACMA Museum and stuff like that. There's also the uh, thing with like opening a new subway line, like Metro line. I'm not, I'm not really sure what that was, but it was something racial. <laughs> there was some like conflict there. Yeah. So at the end of the movie, they're all covered in ash and a little boy that we barely know, but is really important to the plot, <laughs> says that he can't tell what his mother looks like because everyone looks the same because they're all covered in ash. And it's this weird, like, coda to this movie that otherwise, like, barely is about race. It kind of touches on it in one really minor subplot where none of those characters really matter to us. It could have been more about race with, like, a black guy and a white guy are stuck together somewhere right. because of the, the the lava and they have, like, work together. Like that cop and the black guy, but, like, in a more contained thing where instead of, like... Yeah. The plot of this movie is basically, like, knocking various things over in front of lava, even though they establish also that lava melts, melts cars. So I don't know why it doesn't melt a bus. It's just, it's like lava is the focus of this movie. It's not the volcano at all. It's kind of just like flowing slowly down the street and no one's really usually in very much danger. And they're just kind of standing there, like watching it and figuring out what to do. It's like very odd. Yeah, well, this actually struck me about both of these movies, which is that people have a far more difficult time recognizing what lava is than I think the average real human being would. I think there, there are like five moments in this movie, at least, where people are like, what is that? Is that <laughs> it feels hot. Why is everything on fire? There's a weird delayed recognition. Like, it's almost like lava, but no, like it is lava. There is nothing else that it could be. You know what lava looks like. <laughs> And there is nothing that lava is a lot like. No. There are no substances that lava is like. And it's erupting out of the ground. Like. <laughs> Mitch, I don't know how to describe this, but the tarp, the tarp themselves are on fire, and they're right now spilling out onto Wilshire Boulevard. It's coming right up out of the ground itself. It's as if the tarp caught fire, melted, and somehow expanded. The downed fire truck is still on its side. Injured firefighters desperately in need of medical help. Oh, I forgot to mention the director of this movie is Mick Jackson, who did The Bodyguard. Oh. Hmm. And not a lot of other notable hits, <laughs> surprisingly. Maybe this killed his career. We should also note that this movie has quite a supporting cast. Uh, quite. Kangle hats. <laughs> <laughs> worn by Don Cheadle. Gabby Hoffman of Girls and Transparent Fame, who was kind of like the it girl of like teenage movies. I she think, was in Now and Then and Sleepless in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I didn't know that. She was kind of like the poor man's Christina Ricci, I feel like. She has a better career now than Christina Ricci, though. Oh, uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, John Carroll Lynch is in this. Richard Schiff. Harvey Levin. Harvey Levin. <laughs> Fucking Harvey Levin from TMZ he is plays in a reporter. this movie. Who reports on pigs and snakes being injured in the blast. And it's a shame that he didn't fall into an actual volcano. And then Tommy Lee Jones stars with Anne Heche. And how did Anne Heche become famous? Because she dated Ellen? Is Honestly, that... how was she a thing? Well, I am wondering that myself because this movie came out five days before the puppy episode of Ellen. And she was dating Ellen then? I mean, I think they were. I don't know how out that was, but it was right around the same time. So, I mean, there wasn't a lot of like Anne Heche stardom that wasn't also like Anne Heche and Ellen stardom. I mean, I feel like maybe when she was like cast and filming this movie, that wasn't 
maybe part of the news because it's probably like a year earlier. And so they were probably like trying to position her as like this hot, sexy new thing. And then that turned out to be not her public image. And then, you know, that kind of superseded any chance that she could really be. I mean, she tried like uh, six days, seven nights with Harrison Ford. I mean, part of it is that she was with Ellen, but another part of it is that she was with these really older men that like Mm -hmm. she just doesn't have a lot of believability or chemistry with Tommy Lee Jones, Harrison Ford. Or screen presence. (laughs) She's a, yeah, I've always found her a very strange star. And what is further weird about this movie is that she is a scientist paired with a more masculine looking scientist or who I think reads a bit as a lesbian. I mean, maybe she is, maybe she isn't. They don't really say that, but they kind of have like a flirty banter between them, which I don't think was necessarily intended. Hmm. But it's also... It's unusual in, like, a 90s movie to see, like, two female scientists together. I was going to say that I actually really liked that. I, I mean, like in seeing, theory. I like seeing women scientists doing their thing together with Again, no man in, in the scene. in theory, so much about this movie is pretty cool. Yeah, in theory, but I'm just saying it was nice to see. It just reads, like, this weird, like, lesbian, and I don't know if it's only because we know about Anne Heche at this time, but... No. That they both go into this tunnel together and like one of them dies and it feels a little bit like she lost her partner, but they don't. I don't think the filmmakers intended that. And lesbians often do lose each other in holes. It happens. (laughs) I really, I really think that's us reading something to it because I don't think the filmmakers really intended that. I don't think they all intended that, but I feel like someone along the line, like maybe it was just Anne Heche. I don't know. That's the casting of the other one is straight. It's like in Twister, there was also like a very like kind of androgynous like scientist. And I guess there was like this idea that all female scientists have to be like kind of. Well, that's what it felt like to me. They were trying to ape Twister. That's Mm -hmm. what it felt like to me. But yeah, it's just, it's a weird, like it adds (laughs) just a layer here that is strange. So in this movie, Tommy Lee Jones has to be the worst person at his job. He keeps sending people to, like, find his daughter or be with his daughter when there's a volcano erupting. He's also the worst father because he keeps sending his daughter away for, like, incredibly minor reasons. Yeah, so she gets a, like, pretty mild burn on her leg from some lava, but it's, like, it's very minimal compared to, like, other stuff that we see. And she goes to the hospital, and then he has, like, one of his best employees, like, go to the hospital to be with her instead of, like, helping out during this crisis. And then Anne Heche is a geologist, and instead of asking her to do something in the end of the movie, he asks her to go find his daughter. And that's all she's doing for the end of this Mm. movie is wandering around screaming, Kelly Rourke! And... She's the one who should be like making plans, and everything. And at mm-hmm. the end, there's kind of a joke of like, ah, oh, I would have gotten everyone killed. Ha ha. I'm like, ugh, it's not a good, not a good look for women no. at the end. I feel like the daughter like is written as someone who's much younger. Like she should be like a five year old girl. In or some scenes, yeah. she is holding tight to a stuffed animal like teddy bear. And I'm not saying I didn't do that when I was 13, but in a movie, it just reads as like way younger. Right. And then she gets put in charge of like babysitting a kid who is that age, but like has nothing to do with the movie. And so then it's like a nesting doll of children in danger because (laughs) the little boy is in danger and she (laughs) runs after him, but then she's in danger. So like Anne Heche and Tommy Jones run after her. And it was just like, why do we need like layers of children in danger? Well, and it was just playing out the same thing. It's just basic peril. Like, it didn't really add anything to the story. And also, the the baby's speech was overdubbed with a creepy actor who was clearly, like, a 12 or 13-year-old boy. It was just all very off-putting. There's just no reason for this movie to be in L.A. At all. 
There's no it's, reason. It actually feels more like New York because there's so much focus on tunnels in the subway. And part of me even wonders if that was like the original pitch of the movie. Like the Beverly Center is not really a landmark. It's it a mall. Never, yeah, it was never an LA There's nothing landmark. interesting about the Beverly Center or like unique. Like the Beverly Center could be in any city and it like various versions of it are. Wilshire Boulevard, like it's just, it's not even like one of the more famous streets here really. No, like Rodeo Drive or something. Yeah. Or like Sunset, like there, we have tons of like really recognizable places, and I don't know why they said it in just like like a part that you just drive past and you there's nothing there. There are also like a lot of mansions here that would be really interesting to see like melting with lava, and instead they just pick kind of like a random block. Yeah, and well, and it's like they talk about the OJ trial, and then they don't show Brentwood burning down or something. You know, like come on, it's. You guys, we got to make this movie. Volcano, but good. <laughs> That's what it's called. <laughs> Volcano, but good. Dr. Lava and Volcano, but good. <laughs> uh, so both Dante's Peak and Volcano hinge on a man who's supposed to be on vacation, but gets called in to work because there's a volcano. And it's just like, what does that add to anything? Like, it's just all, they have to do like all this banter. Like, why aren't you at work at the beginning? And I, it's, it's just a painful cliche. Well, yeah, and there's also, it's like, it's, they're never relatable at all. It's like, where, where were you going on vacation? His daughter was in town, so he was taking it off to be with her. But honestly, I don't know why he went into work that day. I, <laughs> I wish this movie was just Tommy Lee Jones' day off and in the background. <laughs> there's like a plume of Wow, good ash. thing I didn't go to work today. <laughs> yeah, well, and Don Cheadle and his Kangol cap can clearly take care of it. Like, come on. Uh, this movie also has a dog saved at the last minute from lava. It's true. Every it's true. Yeah. Puppies in peril. This movie did play in the Beverly Center Theater, so that would have been a fun place to see it. <laughs> you would literally be on fire while watching the movie. No, but honestly, like, there's an there's an insane amount of product placement in the movie in general, but it really seems like the Beverly Center, like, paid good money to get prime placement in this movie. Like, half the scenes in this movie take place outside near the Beverly Center. You know what's funny, though? We never actually go in the mall. We're never outside once. of it. Never once. Or we're in the parking garage. <laughs> Wouldn't that be more fun to see, like, people, like, shopping Beverly Hills style uh-huh. and then, like, lava coming through or something? Yeah, like, all of it would have been better. <laughs> Originally in this movie, uh, Ed Harris and Bill Pullman were considered the lead, so we really missed out there. And uh, Gillian Anderson was considered for oh my God. the Anne Heche character, who I feel like would have been at least a little bit more believable. Scully would have been the best. And uh, Michael Douglas was offered the role of Harry and Donnie's Peak. I don't think that would have. I don't think that would have worked. No. He was too busy making crazy bitch movies. So do we like Tommy Lee Jones or... Pierce Brosnan better in the respective Volcano movies. Neither. We like <laughs> Bill Paxton. Honestly, <laughs> my choice of these two is Bill Paxton. Do we like Anne Heche or Linda Hamilton we better? We like Helen Hunt in Twister. <laughs> yeah, agreed. <laughs> Guys, go watch Twister. I mean, I can't disagree with that. I think Volcano is a garbage movie. It's kind of fun <laughs> to make fun of, but it's funny that even though I loved Dante's Peak as a kid, when I saw this in the theater, I was kind of like, ooh. It's so funny because I actually thought Volcano was so much more watchable I than Dante's Peak. it was a Peak. lot more fun. But it's much, because it's worse, right? Um, I'd have to say in the first 20 minutes, I was like watching it. Like I was like actively watching it, not making fun of it. Like kind of like getting into the story. Wasn't bored. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I got bored. 
but <laughs> but immediately in Dante speak, I was like, <sighs> I just think the filmmaking of Volcano is also so much worse. Like the effects are pretty bad and just. There's no interesting shots, really. I think Dante's Peak actually has some really interesting camera work. Like, that's what I noticed this time around, because I've seen this movie so many times. Is, I mean, I'm not going to, like, make you watch it again and show you, but there's a lot of interesting angles, especially in, like, the setup, and this movie has enough of that. Like, it's pretty, it feels like a TV movie, I feel like disagree i'm getting really blank i think we both hated both these movies (laughs) but which one did you which one is a better movie volcano i definitely think volcano is a better movie that's insane (laughs) i think you're insane for like any of these movies (laughs) look i don't like volcano i'm just saying it's more watchable right more watchable is not the same as better it's better in this context it is (laughs) because neither of them are good movies (laughs) I think that's crazy. <laughs> I think like it's like night and day. How yeah, same. Volcano. No, you think it's night and night. <laughs> no, I agree it's night and day in the sense that Volcano and Dante's Peak are bad movies during the night and during the day. <laughs> like none of the stuff that's wrong with Volcano. Like like we didn't have the same problems with the basic story. Like maybe like you guys weren't super into the characters or anything like that, but <laughs> As a, I feel like as a story, it holds up pretty well. Like, and this one is like completely misconceived from like we were talking about. Like, the, even the premise doesn't work. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I don't see how you can think that a movie where we don't even like the premise of it is a better movie than a movie where. Oh no! The, don't get me wrong. The premise is dumb, but I love it. I love the premise of a volcano exploding in LA. Like I. Right, but, like, the actual mechanics of how that happens, which is all the most boring ways that it could happen. I don't think Volcano is boring as long as Dante's Peak is boring. These are not compliments for either movie. <laughs> right. I'm just saying, if you forced me to watch one of these again, I would pick Volcano. I mean, I'm not surprised by that, because it's... That's why I picked it. We just watched it uh, before the podcast. We did not take hours of or days of preparation. But, um... I don't think you're going to convince me... That Dante speak is good in any way. I mean, I'm not really trying to. <laughs> you seem flabbergasted. I am flabbergasted. I I don't expect to be able to convince you that it's good. But I am <laughs> astounded that neither of you think it's a better movie than Volcano. Uh, well, the rest of the world is not on your side on sorry this. Sorry about your flabbers, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> So, because this is a ripoff of our very first episode, I have a brief playtime <laughs> that apes are... Uh, I'm using the word apes a lot today. <laughs> we have two brief games. So, the first one is, which movie had this tagline, or was it porn? <laughs> <laughs> well, that fits in with the theme of the night. The pressure is building. It's not Volcano, because that was the coast is toast. So, I'm going to say Dante's Peak. Whatever you do, don't look back. Oh, Volcano. Well, uh, I don't know, porn? <laughs> <laughs> it's hotter than hell. I don't know, porn? <laughs> Nature is fury. Are you going to give us the answers? <laughs> That's definitely Nature porn. is fury was Twister. <laughs> hey! <laughs> it's hotter yeah. than hell was Volcano, because it had two taglines. So did Dante's Peak, oh, which was, was whatever you do, don't look back, and the pressure is building. I, I tried to find genuine oh, porn oh. taglines, but I was... Googling weird things, so I just <laughs> stopped. I don't think they have taglines for porn. The, the title says it all. I mean, sometimes you 
You need a little extra hook. <laughs> For your search results. Was it like skin tags on porn stars or something? Ew. <laughs> like, like tan lines. <laughs> next next game portion <laughs> is uh, which movie is this line from? <laughs> Let's just assume that we haven't seen the real bulk of the magma yet. Oh, oh I know. It's Volcano. <laughs> mm-hmm. My feet are burning. Uh, volcano. Yes. Oh, is that when um the Zodiac killer is walking through the magma? <laughs> no, it's not. There are multiple feet burning scenes. Oh, well, I, I didn't mention that scene. What's his name? John Carroll Lynch. Yes, John Carroll Lynch. The best scene of Volcano is when he is carrying uh a, like somebody in his arms through magma because he can't make the jump to dry land. And uh, and he just throws the body into the air, <laughs> and, and then he, he just melts, melts right on, and he just melts, right. kind of like the Wicked Witch. <laughs> yeah, it's very similar to the sacrifice of the poor man's Aunt Meg, uh, Grandma in Dante Speak. Mm-hmm. She jumps in the acid lake and also suffers damage to her legs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is Anne Heche hanging from the ladder over magma, which is one of the better sequences of this movie, I guess. Wherever there's a volcano with an attitude. Is there a second part of that line? No. This one's from porn. <laughs> what was the line? Wherever there's a volcano with an attitude. I, that's not a full sentence. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't have to be a full sentence. I don't know. Dante's Dante, Peak? There's only two movies to pick from. <laughs> yes, it's Dante's <laughs> You're out of your mind. Oh, you're out of your mind. Both. Neither. Becky's essay from college. <laughs> <laughs> that was Dante's Peak, and that is one of me and my sister's favorite quotes, because it's Linda Hamilton, and she says it in a very funny way. We are dealing with very determined stuff here. Volcano. Mm-hmm. There's no history of anything until it happens. Then Volcano. There is. Volcano. That mm-hmm. one I knew. I'm not paper. I'm lava. <laughs> Volcano. Okay, ready, you guys? Ready? One, two, three. Three. Okay, rock beats scissor, and scissor beats paper. I'm not paper. I'm lava. What beats that? My dad. I hope. What's magma? I don't know. Dante's Peak. Volcano. All of these volcano. Pretty much, because that's the one with all the cheesiest lines. I don't have time to read a flyer on geological volcano. theory. Mm-hmm. We got too close to the show. Marianne was killed. Dante's Peak? Yes. All right. Good job. No one wins. <laughs> yeah, no one wins. Yeah, whoever these wins, These movies we are all terrible. Lose. <laughs> so I have more I can say about disaster movies, but I think we will save that for the conclusion of our disaster epic, which will be on Deep Impact and Armageddon in a few months. So <laughs> look forward to that or dread it. And that's all the disaster we have time for today on the When We Were Young podcast, which has been a production of the MFP Studio Studio in Los Angeles, California. Subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a review of five stars or more. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash show. You can tweet us at show, And you can send us a suggestion for a future episode through Gmail at www.yshow at gmail.com. I have been Seth Pearson. I have been Chris, the president, founding, and only member of the Dante's Peak fan club. And I'm Dr. Lava, MD. <laughs> Esquire. <laughs> Hey, if you're scared, you can have my crystal. I can have it? Yeah. Thank you.
Merrily, 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 merrily